Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Not Another Fitness Podcast for fitness geeks only. And today we're talking about carbohydrates as fuel, kind of more from a bioenergetics standpoint. And I got a little bit long-winded yesterday about the uh, ketones and everything related to that since I tend to get tons of questions on that. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that I covered all of that as best I could. Uh, today will be a little bit shorter, as I've already referred to carbohydrate metabolism a fair amount already. And as you already know, carbohydrate metabolism is great for kind of speed and power. It is on the faster end of the spectrum, right? So all of these fuels and how they produce ATP, the cellular currency that your body runs on, they're all more of a dimmer switch than they are on and off, right? All these things are kind of running simultaneously, just occurring at different rates, uh, depending upon a bunch of different conditions. Everything from how pH affects different enzymatic reactions, is oxygen present, is oxygen not really present, and in reality, that's all gradations in between. So that's why it makes this... Uh, quite messy, and for the purpose of discussion, we've kind of chopped it up and looked at it from a fuel-centric point of view. So again, if you're doing a sport that requires a lot of speed and power, having carbohydrates is going to be of benefit. And when we metabolize carbohydrates, there's two basic ways that we can do this. We have the main portion, which is called glycolysis. So just think of glycolysis as carbohydrate metabolism. And fats, we had talked about, that was primarily aerobic metabolism. Fats use oxygen in order to give us a lot of ATP. So the example we used was palmitic acid, gives us about 130 ATP. So that is a lot of ATP for a small amount of starting substrate. Now carbohydrates, the downside is we will not get nearly that amount of ATP. We'll get substantially less. But the benefit is that, especially looking at something called anaerobic glycolysis, is that the speed at which we can produce ATP, the rate, of anaerobic glycolysis, which will define that term for you, is about a hundred times that of the oxidative phosphorylation, right? So the aerobic pathway of using fats as fuel. So if we need energy faster, biochemically we need to use carbohydrates. And of course the fastest system is ATP PC, which is regenerating ATP directly. So in the fuel systems, you can kind of think of fat as if you had a car that would burn diesel. Fat is a good diesel fuel. We can get a lot of energy from it, but to extract ultra high-end performance from it, it's going to take a lot of kind of mechanical trickery, and we're just probably not going to be the best starting fuel for that. We can maybe think of ketones a little bit as a higher octane gasoline that does provide a little bit more energy than fat, 
on a per molecule or per mole basis of starting material, but it's not gonna be quite the all out high end uh, top fuel. Carbohydrates, I would equate more to your hybrid and being able to run off of the battery, right? We can get very high output very fast. If you think about acceleration on new electric cars, it's really fast and that's a good thing. The downside is that the amount of batteries you have uh, to store this high energy fuel makes it kind of cumbersome, right? So right now, and this will probably change, the distance you can drive a hybrid, it's gonna be less than you can drive gas or uh, a diesel fueled vehicle. So you're giving up a little bit of that kind of maximal distance you're gonna go or that maximal amount of ATP production. And on the ultra high end, the ATP PC, which we're not talking about, that's gonna supply energy for just literally a few seconds. So that's like putting nitrous into your race car. You can get really high performance, but it's only gonna last a few seconds. Uh, lactate is kind of an intermediate, which we'll talk about tomorrow. And it's kind of a little bit more like a high energy fuel, but has some costs that come with it. So if we back up, as I mentioned, I said that anaerobic glycolysis is operating to produce ATP about 100 times faster than the aerobic use of fat. And if we look at the number of ATP that are produced by that, it's actually quite small, right? So I'll link to a pretty cool paper here called Biochemistry Aerobic Glycolysis. Right, so we have an anaerobic glycolysis, so not using oxygen, and we also have aerobic glycolysis. So fat is generally referred to only as aerobic, meaning it needs oxygen in order to run. Carbohydrates can be burned both with and without oxygen. So anaerobic glycolysis without oxygen, aerobic glycolysis with oxygen. So that makes it a little bit more tricky. So anaerobic glycolysis will give you a net of about two ATP. Again, this is talking about direct conversion from one glucose to, to py two pyruvate molecules. Now, if you're keeping track of the total, then you're looking at a total of about ATP of eight. So about ATP sourcing of about eight, Molecules are derived, uh, this is in this what's called the cytoplasmic portion uh, from glucose oxidation, right? So it's pretty low is the takeaway, right? We can ramble on about uh, different effects and that type of thing. Um, if we look at aerobic glycolysis now, uh, when oxygen is present, uh, we can get substantially more ATP. Uh, quotes usually around that area are probably around 30 ATP or so, uh, but it is substantially more than the anaerobic glycolysis. But again, it's not nearly as high as fat. But again, it is more efficient to use aerobic glycolysis to get faster energy from carbohydrates than it is from fat. Right, so fat, we get a lot of ATP, but it's going to be slower. Aerobic glycolysis, we get faster energy, 
Uh, anaerobic glycolysis, we get the fastest amount of energy, about 100 times that of aerobic use of fat. But we're getting the total amount of ATP are going to be substantially less, right? So sometimes uh, you can think of aerobic glycolysis here as referred to as a condition where glucose is also then converted to lactate in the presence of oxygen. So if we run glycolysis really hard, whether this is aerobic or anaerobic glycolysis, a byproduct is going to be lactate and hydrogen ions are normally gonna come with that also. Uh, if you go back in time, especially if you read some of the new cancer research now, uh, you'll hear something called the Warburg effect. And basically the Warburg effect is just aerobic glycolysis. Right, and that goes back almost like 100 years ago is when they termed that. So it's the final stages where you have the production of extracellular lactic acid, right? So lactate plus hydrogen ions. And this is produced even though there's sufficient oxygen to allow what's called oxidative phosphorylation to proceed, right? So the takeaway there, all of these things are running at the same time, but we're changing the ratios and percentages of what fuel system we're using, usually dependent upon the rate at which we need to fuel via ATP. So if you do something, let's say you sprint 100 meters, you're gonna be definitely much more tuned to that high energy end of the system. If you start getting into very longer events or you're just hanging out at rest, listening to this wonderful podcast, that's going to be more on the aerobic metabolism side, ideally from fat, right? There's no need to produce a ton of ATP in a short period of time, right? Your resting metabolic rate is not requiring a high amount of ATP to produce in a very short period of time. You have the luxury of time. So all of these systems are very important. Everybody kind of wants to sort of pick their favorite system and only just kind of talk about that. But to me, how your body transitions through all of them related to metabolic flexibility is a great marker of health and also a way to look at performance. Now, it is true you can get high-level performance and destroy your health, uh, but generally we're talking about increasing your level of health to also increase your performance, again, up to a point. If you're gonna become a you know elite athlete, then yeah, stuff starts to decouple a little bit from there. Um, so anaerobic glycolysis in general is thought about providing energy for about 10 to 30 seconds of a maximal effort. Again, I don't even like using those time frames anymore because everything's kind of running at the, the same amount of intensity is going to determine where you're at. So I should say all the energy systems are running, just the rate at which they're going is going to be changed, right? So think of having all four systems on these little dials and you're kind of dialing up about how much energy you want to get from each system. And that's primarily determined upon the thing that you're doing. How fast are you doing that? Like we said, if you're just hanging out at rest, not a very fast rate. Fat's going to be your best fuel. If you're trying to run the fastest 100 meters, ATP is going to be your main energy, ATP, CP. That's going to be your main uh, portion. 
If you start looking at times now between the 100 meters, the 200 meters, 400 meters, and 1500 meters, you'll see that they don't directly decline at a linear rate. You'll see changes in how fast even elite athletes can perform them because of changes in the bioenergetics of how ATP is produced, right? And especially looking at times between the 200 meters and the 400 meters. And if anyone who's ever ran a 400 meters or done all out, let's say max exercise at 60 seconds or greater, it is absolutely brutal because you're really getting a large portion from anaerobic glycolysis at that point, maybe a little bit of aerobic glycolysis. You're using a ton of carbohydrates. And remember we said the byproduct of that is a high amount of lactate, which comes with hydrogen ions. Hydrogen ions provide that burning sensation. And so doing that type of exercise, we're trying to maintain that fast rate, really brutal. And what we see is we can't take someone's say fastest 200 meter time, double that and expect them to run that for 400 meters. You'll see it's actually a little bit slower. And that's because we are changing those different energy systems. And as we go through the spectrum, it's gonna take a little bit longer for each one to produce that ATP. So that's today's a little bit shorter on carbohydrates. Uh, carbohydrates are important for all out speed and performance. We can use them via aerobic and anaerobic glycolysis. So using oxygen or not using oxygen. Again, these are all just gradients and spectrums we're talking about. When we do run glycolysis really hard, a byproduct of that is lactate and hydrogen ions. Lactate, as we'll talk about tomorrow, gets used as a fuel. It's actually a very good high energy fuel, but it is the hydrogen ions that are produced at the same time that have some of the issues associated with it. Changing the local pH, which alters enzymes, uh, possibly interfering with the actin and myosin cross-bridging. So literally the muscle contraction in and of itself. So it's the hydrogen ions that are kind of the bugger there. If you like this and want more information, check out theflexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T. So we show you how to use all the different fuel systems, how they are best for the body, how to use them for performance and body composition. But we break it down in a way that it's easy for you to understand and give it to you in a system that you can then apply for all your clients to do nutrition and recovery. Because the nice part is your clients <clears throat> probably don't need a lecture on aerobic and anaerobic glycolysis, but understanding them and just understanding the spectrum of uh, fuels and where to start with clients gives you the background to then be able to troubleshoot their both performance and body composition. So check it out at flexdiet.com, F-L-E-X-D-I-E-T, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Wait, wake me when the show starts. It's already been on a while. Uh, wake me when it's over.